0: The following audio is from a sermon series on the Book of Colossians entitled Jesus over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com.
1: Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 1, 24 to 29. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Um, I'm going to level with you guys. A little bit of a confession here, Um, I feel exhausted. I, I do, I feel, I feel exhausted, I feel tired, I feel overwhelmed um, on top of the normal stressors of life, right trying to, trying to be a, a good husband, uh, being a good dad, trying to be a good pastor, um, and all of those complexities the normal stuff that, that adds up throughout the week. This week has been an exceptionally challenging week for me and I've, I've basically failed in every single category in some pretty major ways this week. First of all, as a husband, we, we tried to get out for a date night on Friday night. It was the worst date night. I made it the worst date night ever, okay? I was on my phone the whole time, messaging the elders from Davenport, trying to figure out, reading articles, doing all this, completely consumed with this whole coronavirus business that I, I neglected to just be present with my wife, okay? So that stunk. You walk away from date night, it's like, yeah, sorry, babe, that was literally the worst night of date nights ever. Uh, not only that is. Like the reality of coronavirus, uh, of like, how, what do we do? How do we navigate this? What, what's going on? Are we going to meet? Are we not going to meet? Are we going to have a Are we going to do, you know, it's like all of these decisions are sort of weighing on me in a way that just seems exhausting as I'm thinking about all this stuff. Uh, you know, my brain, my bandwidth is sort of limited as far as how much I can take of this. Not to mention, I happen to be in sort of the high-risk category as I'm on medication that compromises my immune system. And so I'm like, do I need to be worried? Like, not just these people, but I got, you know, it's like, what, what do I do? What do I do? So there's that going on, so that's some added anxiety. Now, you throw in the mix, um, we had quite the uh, the fiasco on Wednesday afternoon. I get a phone call from my wife, and, you know, she, she's, really, she's really great at, you know, We don't have to communicate at all moments of the day, but so when I know she calls, like something's probably going on, and she calls me and I can hear a kid crying in the background, he's coughing, and I'm like, hey babe, what's going on? Oh yeah, uh, Zane just drank some Tiki torch fluid. Yeah, okay. Uh, and I'm like, oh, he'll probably be fine. And actually, it's like, I don't know, I'm gonna call the poison control center, we're gonna figure out what, It's like, yeah, you should probably call the EMT right away. So we call the EMT, they show up at our house, we got police officers, fire, fire truck, ambulance, stand, all in our yard, checking up on our little guy who's coughing, he seems to be doing okay, he threw up once after, you know, but he's still coughing, and, and they're like, yeah, you should probably go to the ER, and so we go to the emergency room, and, and they monitor, do some x-rays, checking his lungs to make sure he didn't get anything in his lungs, and they're like, okay, first x-ray checked out. We have to do a second x-ray in order for him to be dismissed from the hospital. On the second x-ray, something shows up. And they're like, oh, uh, well, as a precaution, we're going to actually send you to Iowa City um, just so if something, you know, were to take a turn for the worse, you'd be right where you need to be for care, which, again, it's a wise decision. But, again, moving, got to... You know, I'm staying home with the kids, Becca goes to Iowa City. Plus they tell her this at nine o'clock at night and then the ambulance doesn't actually take them to Iowa City until like two or two thirty in the morning. So it's like super long day for both of us, especially for her and then so that's Wednesday afternoon, cuts out my Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, gets released from the hospital, i go pick them up, basically my whole work week just got like a big chunk taken out, and I usually write my sermon Wednesday, Thursday, so it's like, what am I, you know, what am I going to do for a sermon? Um, so that cuts into my work with, week, on top of that, we've been shopping for houses, we are trying to move to, to, to Moline and be, you know, cl- in closer proximity to the church, and so we've had a couple of opportunities to, we made a couple offers, got denied, that's alright, but there's this constant thing of like, are we going to find a house this week, are we not, we gotta move fast, uh, then there's getting our house ready to sell and all this stuff, and so that's going on in the back of my mind, what do I gotta do, what do I, all these projects, and, th- and then we come to Saturday, and I've got an all day long commitment, on literally tw- almost 12 hour commitment on Saturday, and then it's taxis, and I'm trying to make sure I've got all my taxes filed to my account, and i got this stuff going on, right, literally it's like coming up soon, and I've been sleeping poorly on top of that, and so it's like, it's just been a lot, <laughs> it's been a lot. And then, let me just, couple of, my brother and his wife are coming back from China on Tuesday, which is a whole bunch of crazy stuff, right? So I'm just worried for them as they're traveling. They've been traveling around the world, and so I'm just praying for their health and for them to get back in here with all the travel stuff. And then on top of that, God bless her, my mother came into town. (laughs) Which is nothing against my mom. You know, like, we love having her. Love having her, but it's like I literally spent my whole day away. I've spent maybe like an hour and a half of quality time with her since she's been here, and so it's like all these things are going on, and it's just been physically, emotionally, spiritually draining. I'm not saying this to prep you and prime you for a bad sermon. I'm not trying to get your sympathy here, Okay. That's not what I'm doing. Lord willing, uh, he'll have something really helpful for us today, but I'm just telling you what real life looks like for me right now, and albeit it's an extreme week, but chances are you've had weeks like that before too, right? Life is moving, Mach 6, the world is going crazy, okay, and then somebody just drank Tiki Torch fluid. (laughs) Sometimes it's like that. And if we get swept up in the undertow of life's current, we just adopt this survival mentality, right? I just gotta survive. I gotta put my head down, get through it, press out. And what happens is we forget as Christians as people who God has transferred from the the domain of darkness and placed in the the, the eternal kingdom of the beloved son, we forget that we are called to live our lives, even in the chaos, even in the mess, even in the busyness, that we are called to live with gospel intentionality. That no matter where God places us, no matter what the circumstances, that we are called to be salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. That that we're called to, to not just be disciples of Jesus, Right, to see to our heart being conformed to the image of the Son, but to make disciples, other people, to tell them about Jesus, to help them grow, to, to see them mature in the faith. Now, this is basically what it means to do ministry. Right? So it's like, as a Christian, we've got to like, navigate the normal life complexities, and then on top of that, Jesus calls us to be ministers of the gospel, to train your kids in the way they should go. To, to carve out intentional time with Jesus to be refreshed, to be to both uh, invest in your missional community and to, for some of us to, to lead those missional communities out, to carry that responsibility. We're supposed to read the Bible. If you're in Porterbrook, to give ourselves to hours of reading and content discussion. Then on top of that, be on mission wherever you go, the workplace, the gym, be hospitable, right? There's this... This inc- we gotta choose faith over fear that's just pressing us and on and on and on, right? And when we list all this stuff out of, of what, what do I gotta do? What does Jesus want from me? We li- list, list all this stuff out. The expectations can overwhelm us. Who's there? The expectations can, can cripple us. It can feel like we're failing constantly, right? Oh, I, I should be doing this. Oh, I can drop the ball there. Constantly fl- failing, even floundering through our faith. And, and, and as, as difficult as life gets, like there's a level of frustration that, that we carry with that, there's a tendency for us to get mad at Jesus. And for some of us, that's gonna sound weird to get mad at Jesus, but for some, to get mad at Jesus for making additional demands on our life. And so we start to say, man, I'm, I'm burned out. I'm overburdened. I've got this chronic lifestyle of fatigue. I just operate on an empty gas tank all of the time. And in those moments, w- the reality is we're, we're painfully brushing up against the weakness the frailness, and the limitedness of our humanity, right? There's only so much we can do in 24 hours. Now, an irresponsible person or or maybe uh, a immature person might do one of two things. First is make no adjustments. This is how it is. This is the way life is put your head down, grind it out, and you drive yourself until you literally spend yourself. You you get adrenal fatigue, you you weaken your immune system to the point where you somehow get mono. Been there. Right, and you do this all for the sake of being the hero. Oh, I'm Superman, I can do it. I can't do it. You, You don't think I can do it? Watch this. Hold my beer. Or, or the other side of that is extreme caution. It's like we, we we go we we operate on our schedules, our calendars, our our commitments, like uh, a surgeon who's got slash happy cutting stuff out. We're gonna cut this out. We're gonna cut not do that. We're gonna omit this stuff in our life, and, and then eventually it comes down to the point we've whittled away our life so much that there's nothing hard in our lives. That that. That, in fact, and when there's nothing hard in our lives, that probably means that the significance of what we're doing just has been downgraded. Because everything that's worth doing, everything that's significant, comes at a price. It's hard work, right? You try raising your kids well, it's hard work. Try doing a good job at, you know, succeeding in your career, that's hard work. It takes investment. Now, if this sounds familiar, this passage is for you today. Right? This passage meets us in the thick of our lives. And it answers the question, how do we do all of this? How can we possibly navigate the complexities of life and live in community and on mission for Jesus, trying to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life? How can we possibly do this? And it seems especially hard when we face adversity, like when the world is going bonkers, how do we do this? So I'm gonna tag this sermon this morning. This is the method and the means of gospel maturity today. This is what we're talking about. The method and the means of gospel maturity. Now, as we've been going through the book of Colossians verse by verse, uh, we have indirectly been learning about the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul, this whole book is about Jesus. Don't don't be Like, Paul's not just, like, injecting himself in here for the sake of it. But but as Paul writes, we can see how this reality that Jesus is over everything for Paul has affected his own life. Um, And what this has brought for Paul, as Paul has seen Jesus above everything, There's been radical transformation. That Paul is, without reservation, bought into the mission of Jesus, what Jesus is about, and his church. And one thing that you have to realize about Paul is that Paul does not have a survivalist or a conservationalist mentality. Like, Paul doesn't say, listen, I've got a limited amount of bandwidth And so I'm going to ration out it appropriately as I see fit. Paul never does that. He never says that. He never demonstrates it. He never plays it safe. He doesn't say, oh, guys, you know, oh, it's a tough time. Don't overexert yourself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't demonstrate that. Paul doesn't run from the trouble. He doesn't run from the adversity. He doesn't recoil from the difficulty of life and ministry. He runs headlong into it, knowing that Jesus goes with him. And we saw this as Paul interacted with his suffering in verses um, 24. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul has suffered extensively not just for the sake of suffering, but in order to get the gospel message out to all people in all places, right? We we talked about this last week, that the gospel message is for all people, not just Jews. Like in the Old Testament, God had chosen a certain people, uh, the Jewish people, the lineage of Abraham, to bless them and they would be a blessing to the nations and through them the world would be renewed. Now Jesus is saying, listen, you can be part of Abraham's family now through faith in Jesus. Like it's no longer a bloodline thing. It's no longer having Jewish Jewish ethnicity. Anyone, all the nations can get in on the gospel. And so Paul has poured himself out to make the gospel known to both Jew and the Gentile, telling them that your relationship with God no longer rides on your religious pedigree or your religious performance or what you do for God to be a good and moral person. It doesn't ride on your heritage. Paul says that relationship with God can come to anyone, that any and all people who come to the Father through Jesus Christ, what he has done in in his life, death, and resurrection on the cross, giving us new life, is adopted as sons and daughters of God. That's the reality, that we are adopted, and Paul said in in some places, talks about Jesus, talked about it, Peter talks about this, we're, we're born again, like we find ourselves into a new family that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. Now, this is especially good news in light of what's going on in the world right now. right? The, the panic and the chaos that, that people are involved in makes it seem like God is a distant um, He's not in touch with or in tune with what's going on in humanity. But the reality of the gospel is that God is a caring and compassionate Father. He's not—he's not oblivious to our fears and anxieties. He doesn't say, "Hey, just you know, figure it out, get your life together." No, no, no. He's there with us. He knows what it is we're facing. He has the power to protect us and one day he will exercise his power to fix and renew all things and he does it for his kids. Now, so Paul is here, we see the first chunk of, of what was read this morning. If we cut Paul off at verse 27, it might seem like his only concern, like the reason why he's pouring himself out, the reason why he's suffering is just to evangelize, just to, to tell people the good news about Jesus and hope that, that, that God puts them, you know, on, on the right side of the entryway of the gates of heaven. It's almost as if Paul, it seems, if we just stop at verse 27, like Paul is only concerned with getting people into the family of God. But verse 28 shows us that Paul has a much bigger aim for people. Check it out. He says, Him we proclaim. He's talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. See, this is what what Paul's aim is. It's just not getting people saved. It's not just about telling people about Jesus. His desire is to see people develop, to mature in Christ. That's the whole aim of his life, his ministry. The the, the, reality, Paul as a pastor, and this is true of all pastors, one day when, when we stand before the throne of Jesus, We will present the church, those that we were responsible for pastoring and leading and shepherding as under-shepherds of the great shepherd, we will present them back to Jesus and say, here's here's how we led these people. See, Paul has this mentality. When, When I get to the throne of Jesus, I want to present the church mature in Christ And, and this is what Paul struggles for. This is what he his toil is for. It's to see everyone and just notice like I mean it was right up here three times him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul has a concern not just for like those who show glimmers of promise, right? And, and spiritual maturity. Paul's hope isn't just to take like the creme creme de la creme and and let them come up and rise up and mature. He wants the whole church, all people who have their faith in Jesus to become mature in Christ. He wants to see them grow from spiritual infants into robust adulthood. Now in our our society, we have a maturity problem, I think, I, I think it's very clear. Um, there's debate about when adulthood starts. There, there, there's this sense that adolescence has been extended. Um, so much of this, and it's like, you know, people are leery of doing adult things. In fact, that like the, the term people use now for like paying bills and doing laundry and like having some sort of general responsibility for yourself in like, oh, I'm adulting, right? You know what I'm talking about? Now, it's like because of this mentality, this idea of, viewing up, of growing up, of maturing is sort of viewed as a drag. It's like our, our hearts start to gravitate toward like this Peter Pan uh, wannabes that we never grow up. We're forever in Neverland. Like we don't, we don't want to grow up. We just like what we got going on here. So th- there's, there's that problem, but then there's also the problem that That there are people in the church, outside of the church, who have the appearance of maturity and maybe it's like they got gray hairs. I don't know. That might be part of it. They have the appearance of maturity but they aren't mature at all. Like, time doesn't guarantee maturity. It might mature you in age but it doesn't guarantee spiritual maturity. And so I I think that this all stems from a fundamental. These problems stem from a fundamental misconception about maturity, where we think maturity is about doing certain activities, or refraining from doing certain things, taking certain responsibilities upon ourselves. Like if I do my laundry, if I'm fiscally responsible, if I can keep a job locked down, if I've got a five-year plan, all of that stuff. Though that is what maturity is. But honestly, that's a pretty low bar. Don't you think? That's a, that's a pretty low bar for maturity. And what becomes even more challenging is when we put out this list of do's and don'ts, of this, this is what mature people do, and this is what mature people don't do, and it becomes religion. It's not true spiritual maturity, it just becomes the facade of religion. Now Paul, thankfully, invokes this idea of wisdom in verse 28. Now what is wisdom is living, is skillful living in a complicated world. It's not just just doing the right things, it's having the right demeanor, having the the whereabouts to navigate things, to to live life the best way that God designed us to live. And in, in order to live and to navigate in this very confusing and broken world, we cannot afford to be tossed around like children, right? If my kids are acting up, I can pick them up, throw them over my shoulder, and like, you're going this place. I can do that, physically just pick them up. And, and that's part of immaturity for them. Like, like they, they don't have the ability to stand on their own, to, to be stable. Like, I have to do that for them. And so we, kids get tossed around. And honestly, people in our city right now, in the world, are being tossed around by this Coronavirus. And people are like, oh, we gotta isolate, we gotta bunker down, like this fear and panic sets in. And I think, I think it's safe to say that spiritual maturity is very relevant in times like this. See, spiritual immaturity is when our circumstances dictate us, when when they push us around, that they control us, that they determine how we do things and our outlooks on life. But maturity is, True spiritual maturity, and not just spiritual, but like holistic maturity, isn't this stuffy, life-choking sort of endeavor that we give ourselves to. Maturity is joyful stability. Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about the same idea, and he he says in Ephesians 4, maturity is not being tossed around by the wind and the waves of of ideas and doctrines and, and circumstances, He says, now we can say like, yeah, there are circumstances that are going on and, and there are things to be concerned about, there are real threats, but those things don't own us. They don't dominate us. Instead, Paul says, maturity looks like speaking truth in love and in doing so, we grow up into stability in Christ. Now Scott McKnight um, in his commentary on Col- uh, Colossians, this passage here, he talks about this as Christ deformity. It's kind of like a new word, Christ that that we become so cemented in the realities, the truths, the promises of God. That we become formed into the likeness and image of Christ. That, that it's not just like, oh, I, I have a couple of traits of Jesus, but I actually become like pressed as the pressure is applied of, of life. I become formed into the image of Christ. That I take on his likeness. And and what we see about Jesus when he's faced with the most trying and difficult and just like the, the most bizarre of circumstances, Jesus doesn't give way. Those things don't dominate him. His faith is secure in God his Father and he rests in that. He has this stability under pressure where he can just trust in God. See, this is why Paul this is the aim of Paul's ministry. Everyone mature in Christ. Everyone to take on the likeness of Jesus. And I could spend like another hour talking about this, but I got to move on because as Paul talks about speaking truth in love in Ephesians 4, it segues us into the method of reaching maturity. Okay, verse 28 lays this out for us at the beginning here. It says, um, Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, Paul is saying like to to reach maturity, there are two things that have to happen. Two two similar things, they're similar in a sense, but also very different. There's a sense he's saying there's proclaiming and there's teaching. Him, we, we proclaim Christ, we proclaim the gospel and we teach those, we warn those to live in a certain way. Now, proclamation is declaring a fact. It's an announcement of truth, right? This is the reality. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And and sharing that message with people and and seeing them as the Holy Spirit works and changes their hearts and gives them the gift of faith that they respond to Christ in faith, right? That's what proclamation does. And teaching takes that person who's been had that sort of conversion experience and teaches them how to take that proclamation and work it out into everyday life. How the reality of gospel gets into the nooks and crannies of everyday life. And so Paul says, him we proclaim. He's saying, Paul, here's the truth. Here's here's the ultimate reality of what Jesus has done for us. And in Colossians, you can see, it. he's laying out that Jesus is supreme, that he made all things, he is in all things, he's, all things were made for him, all things were made by him. That Jesus is so powerfully at work in creation that he is reconciling all things, even us, back to himself. And in this, Jesus is reordering the chaos of the chaos, the cosmos, and he's creating shalom, this, this idea of, of human flourishing, this peace. See, that's the true reality. that's, That's the grand narrative of the scriptures. That's what everything is headed toward throughout human history. And if you center yourself here in this truth, if you ground yourself in the reality that Jesus is in control, you will not be tossed around. That Jesus is not just in control, but he is working for your good. You won't get thrown around by the circumstances. And that's what Paul's proclaiming. Now, he's also saying, we're, we're teaching people. We're, he says, um, we're warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, the whole piece about with all wisdom, that, that, that's a very important claim because really what he's saying here is like, we're teaching people how life works best. Right? Because God designed us for a specific function. We were created for him, we were created by him. God knows how life works best, and so he's trying to show us that here under Jesus, as Jesus people, we live our lives in a certain way. Here's what it looks like to do that. Here's what it looks like, even if you go back uh, in in the beginning part of Colossians, where it talks about um, what it looks like to continue in the faith, to be stable and steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That's verse 23 of chapter one. And really, this breaks down into two things. First, he's warning people. Like, when we do ministry, we're not just teaching people new things. That there are things that have to be unlearned. There are things that we have to, to warn, like, hey, if you do this, it's not gonna go well for you. This is not the way life works best. And so there's, there's this sense of, as this, Paul, as a pastor, he has this burden. I'm warning people about where their life is headed, if they're not aware of the reality of the gospel. I'm warning you. And, 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 and in addition to warning, he says, do this instead. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what a, a Jesus-shaped life looks like. Now, he doesn't just do this like audibly and we see Paul talking to the uh, Ephesians where he says, um, I didn't just share my message with you. I, didn't just share, I just didn't do ministry with you or proclaim or teach you. I shared my life with you. See, that, that, that is the type of ministry that, that is gospel ministry. We proclaim, we teach, we warn, but there's also the sharing of life. I'm, I'm showing you how this works itself out in my own life so like Paul, I can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, as, a, as your pastor, this is where a, a lot of my efforts and a lot of my time is placed. I, I proclaim the gospel from this pulpit nearly every week. I, I desire to present you with the, the glorious gospel of grace of Jesus, what he has done for sinners week in and week out in a way where we can encounter Jesus in, in, in a fresh way each time. Because the gospel is like a multifaceted diamond. That, that, yeah, it's, it's, I'm literally every week I'm preaching the same thing, but each week I'm turning the, the, the diamond just a little half rotation to see it from a different angle, different facet of the diamond. And I'm also at work to teach you how following Jesus changes your everyday ordinary life. Now, since... In recent years, there has been this, um, this shift where ministry work has been found to be really only what the pastors and paid church staff does. Like, oh, yeah, that's why we pay his salary. He's, he's doing the ministry work, right? I don't need to do it. I just show up. He does the work. But, but that concept is wildly unbiblical, Because pastors aren't the only ones who do this sort of life ministry work. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Jesus gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds and teachers, listen to this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ so that, he goes on, so that maturity can happen. Now, who, who's doing the work of the ministry? It's the saints. It's Christians, ordinary, everyday, Jesus-loving Christians doing the work of the ministry. This means that every Christian carries a responsibility, right, in loving God and loving neighbor to proclaim Jesus, to teach what a Jesus, Jesus-shaped life looks like, and to demonstrate that life. Now, it's helpful to realize that, that you, I have a unique platform where for some reason people listen to me for 50 minutes every Sunday, shocked by it. But you too have a platform, right? Everybody's talking about platform. You've got a platform. Wherever you are in your work, your neighborhood, um, your family, you have a unique platform. You're able to reach parts of the city that I personally cannot reach. And when Jesus sends you into those places, he does so with intentionality that you are going there as a minister of the gospel. You've been placed there by God to reach the people who are going crazy in the world, people who are in need in the world. This is a unique opportunity for you. Now I started this sermon talking about like, just the weight of life. The weight of life, the weight of following Jesus, the weight of doing ministry, and you probably have not felt the load come off your shoulders yet, right? Anybody feel that way yet? Good, Trent does. If anything, it's gotten heavier because the mission, the the aim, what we're going for isn't just getting people in the door of heaven, it's to see them fully mature in Christ. And, And this isn't just the work for, you know, The paid staff this is the work of the whole church and so that got added onto your shoulders as well your role is is expanded and so when you see this this has the potential to crush you and and no wonder like paul says this is why i struggle this is this is why my work is very toilsome it's hard work now that that in a couple of different ways there he's he's saying first of all that the word toil kind of goes back to the garden of eden just where like work itself is hard like, the job you work now is harder because sin has come into the world. That's a fact. Like, your, your job was not meant to carry the complexities and the challenges that you face on a daily basis. So there's a sense of toil that living under the curse of sin that we live in. But, but Paul says, beyond that normal, ordinary struggle of, of paying the bills and making sure my family is provided for and, and doing my part as a, a citizen of the Quad Cities, There is this additional struggle that's upon him, that's really upon us. To make Jesus known. To to see people fully mature in Christ. Now this ministry life is totally impossible. Absolutely impossible unless you believe verse 29. Take a look at it. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Did you catch that? Whose energy? His. His energy. And and who's powerfully working? He is. See, Paul, Paul has this realization that the weight that's on his shoulders as a pastor, as as an evangelist, as a normal Jesus-loving dude, is too heavy for him to carry himself, and he realizes that within him, Jesus is working out the mission that he's called Paul to. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. See, Paul realizes that he has this access to to a supernatural power that, that not only enables him to do the normal life stuff, but to give himself wholeheartedly to the mission of Jesus. See, this is what it means. If you go back a couple verses, he talks about the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul is talking about, that he's been united to Christ in his sufferings, in his resurrection, in such a way that the power of Christ is, is inside of him, residing in his heart, and Christ is working and moving through him. This is, how, this is how any kind of ministry can get done. It's because Christ is working through his people. There's a story of... of um, Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a a minister back, I think, in the 1800s, um, he had a very robust preaching ministry. He traveled around from place to place. He was a good pastor. Um, and one guy said to him, um, Pastor Spurgeon, it seems as if you can do the work of two men. And he replies to the guy, Sir, you forget there are two men. See. He knew what Paul knew, that Christ was in him. It wasn't just him exerting his own efforts. It was Christ working powerfully in and through his life. Now, how absurd is it to think that we could possibly muster up the energy to do all that God has called us to do? How absurd is that? Like There's some days I feel like it's a win when I just get out of the house on time. And when burnout and fatigue set in, when we feel that, because that, that's part of the human experience, like we're gonna come up against the, the, the limitations of our humanity. When that stuff sets in, there might be a need for us to actually rest and, and usually both physically and spiritually. Find a deep soul Rest. But more than likely, the cause of getting to that place is because I have been relying on my own energy to do the things Jesus has called me to do instead of the energy that Jesus supplies. It's like living living life, having a, a power source readily available to you, but still uh, refusing to tap into it. It's like we got my, my kids, one of those... Um, uh, I don't know what you call them, the, like a car, you know, a motorized like play toy car that you can sit in, a couple people sit in. And um, we got him this toy and uh, it just seemed like it was so slow. I, it would get caught up on, you know, very small inclines. It get caught up on tree, you know, roots poking through. Like It's like this thing is a waste of money. And somebody, I don't know who it was, is like, oh, by the way, there's like a, a little thing that you take off There's a governor. You remove, and you get all this extra power, and then you, so now the kids are running around, and they're blazing through the yard, running into the the deck, and now I've gotta fix that, you know, so that's part of the problem. But there's this power source that was sitting there, dormant, untapped, and then you take it off and make all the difference. This reality, Christ in you, his energy working through me, his powerful power coming out, it makes a huge difference. It's the difference between planning, I'm gonna steal this from um, uh, T.J. Tim's pastor in Nashville. He says this, it's the difference between planning your weekend based on your empty bank account or planning your weekend with the bank account of Jeff Bezos, who's one of the richest men in the world, available to you. Like, what are you gonna, if, if you're gonna plan your weekend with your own resources, you're gonna sit at home and eat ramen noodles and watch Netflix. If You got Jeff Bezos kind of coin, dude, I don't know, you fly the world, I, maybe not right now, but later. <laughs> right, that, that's because of the gospel, it's like Jesus is in you, you have this untapped power source, and for some of us, like we've, we've tapped into it, maybe it's seasonally. We've gotten to the end of ourselves and realized, okay, there's no other way to do this but to rely on Jesus. But to maintain this constant draw upon the power of Jesus is something that as Christians we have to do in order to live the life, to have the kind of ministry that Jesus calls us to. And know this, that your value, your identity is not placed upon what you do for Jesus. It's not based upon your output, your performance. Jesus has already determined that you are most wonderful and glorious and a, a deepest treasure to God the Father, that he would lay down his own life for you, that he would bring you out of the domain of darkness into the eternal light. See, so it's not a performance that, that determines our value before God, but as those who have been brought into God's kingdom, who are sent out as ministers of the gospel, we have Jesus in us now working. The power of God is placed in us to do what God has called us to do. In fact, this is the only explanation for why the church is still existence. Like if you think about it, like the church should have shut down a long time ago. Not just this church, but like globally. Like all the pandemics, all the wars, all of the futility that we've, the church Christians have faced throughout the years, you think that it was shut down. But the power of God is at work in his people and that is how the church keeps moving forward into maturity. Now this is the good news of the gospel. I mean, this is part of the good news of the gospel. That first of all, yeah, we're we're saved from sin and death, transferred from one kingdom into the other. But here's the good news for life: that Jesus lives and resides inside every single Christian, every single Christian, compelling and empowering them to live a, a life with gospel intentionality, intentionality. Right. In other words, a life of Gospel ministry. Jesus wants to use us. He wants to take our ordinary rhythms and and daily life and, and use us in such a way that brings forth the kingdom of God in the Quad Cities to make his grace known to those who do not yet know of it but also to mature those who are already in Christ. And he is supplying the energy to do it. Now listen to this, what kind of impact, just imagine with me, what kind of impact would we have in the Quad Cities if we were to toil with Jesus' energy and not our own? What kind of lives could we live? What sort of family dynamics and rhythms would we create and maintain in our homes? What sort of investments could we make in other people and their discipleship if we realize that Jesus is supplying everything we need? How would we respond to coronavirus if it's the energy of Jesus at work in us, compelling us to love others? How would we, there's no other way to keep the plate spinning of normal life and do the ministry, to do the work of living in community and on mission that Jesus has called us to unless we have his power at work within us. Church, it's there for us. So let us, let us be resolved to plan and base our lives on the power of Christ, the energy of Christ that is available to us. Let, let's let's no longer think about what we can and can't do based upon our own bandwidth. Let's tap into this unlimited power source, constantly drawing on Christ. It's like he says, I, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Like the, the branches, if you, you're severed from the vine, you're gonna, you're gonna wither away. We have to be intimately connected to Jesus, enjoying that union we have with him. And as we do so, as we draw upon the power of Christ, we set out to make disciples of Jesus, to see people come to know Jesus for the first time, that they would hear the good news, respond to it, but they would also grow in maturity. So let us open our mouths to teach, to proclaim, to warn, and show our lives as a demonstration of the power of Jesus working powerfully in me. The only way this is possible, the only way you can live this way, the only way that you don't get bogged down by the weight of this is to see that Jesus has already shouldered everything for us. The only way that you can see that Jesus is everything to you is to realize that Jesus gave everything for you. He gave up his own life. He, to the point of his life taken from him at the cross. At this point I'd say like, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, we're not doing that. But, but this is, this is the, the mentality, like, what has Jesus done? And then as we were to take and eat, and it's just maybe, maybe it's just a mental imagery, a mental picture of taking the Lord's Supper today, of as we intake Christ, it is he who is working through us. And it's in that. Christ is in us, and the hope of glory is at work. Let's get after it, church. I'm done with my sermon. Uh, Trent, you want to come up and... Father, Father, we we pray to you this morning that you would broaden our our vision, our mission, what you would have for us, that it would go beyond just being (sighs) attenders of church, that it would go beyond being. Um, complacent in our faith and that it would really spur us on to gospel maturity. God, would you help us realize that our calling is as ministers of the gospel, we all proclaim, we all are teaching, we all are warning those who do not yet know Christ but also those who do know Christ that we might all together move toward maturity in Christ. We ask for your power to be at work within us now, Lord especially as we're dealing with the stuff going on outside the walls, we ask that you would move in a powerful way for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.